live from Studio Nowhere. This is the Athletics Mailroom Podcast. Now here's your host, Amy Parlapiano. Hi, everybody. I'm Amy Parlapiano, NFL editor at The Athletic. Welcome back to The Mailroom where we take questions from our very own subscribers and ask them to a different guest every week. This week, I'm joined by The Athletic's senior NFL writer and originator of QB Tears. It's Mike Sando. Hi, Mike. How's it going? Hi, Amy. Great to be here. How was uh, your week one experience? What are your initial thoughts after watching the games? Uh, it was good. It's great to have football back. We sort of put our off-season narratives to the test, you know, and they gain, uh, they just get stronger as the off-season goes on, you know. And so by the time that the season comes around, it's nice, but then you have to remember it's only one game. So we're just trying to make sense of it. We can't wait till the end of the season before we start to analyze, but uh, we get some clues. And so I always like the first week. Exactly. All right. So we're going to get right into this. We had a few questions uh, from subscribers from, but you also did a live Q&A yesterday. So we have some questions from that. We have some questions from the mailroom uh, question near that I sent out. And so we're going to get started. So first, uh, an interesting development in week one was some teams in the AFC North, the Ravens looking great, the Steelers looking awful. So Kev H says, Dear Mike, how do you see the AFC North shaping out in the long term this year? Okay, I'm not going to over overreact. Um, I think that Baltimore is the toughest team to play. Um, I'm not going to entirely come off my preseason thinking, which was that Pittsburgh was probably the safest money. It was a horrific opener, um, but because it was at New England, I'm going to give them a couple of weeks here to really totally prove me wrong. I would probably go with them and I would have Baltimore in there and then I would have Cleveland and then I would have Cincinnati right now. And Mike, we in your QB tiers, I believe that Lamar Jackson was in the fourth tier this year, right? But it was that was more because of kind of mm-hmm. a, a, they wanted to wait and see with him. What was kind of the impression you got from talking to execs about their feelings about Lamar Jackson's future? Yep, combination of excitement because he's such a dynamic player, obviously a, a great athlete, and I think the team, um, he's the type of guy a team rallies around, so there's excitement on that front. Um, there was excitement over how Greg Roman would use him. They knew that they would use him the right way. Concern over whether he could be used that way and be healthy for his career for a whole season. Um, concern, but not... You know, concern on the the consistent passing accuracy. I mean, I think that was a concern, but hope that he uh, really seemed to be diligent in his approach to working on it. So to the extent you believed that people improve with their accuracy, um, I think, you know, rounded out the picture people had of him. So people wanted to see more, and they really want to see more after week one. And one other thing that I remember from Tears that I think people were – not necessarily controversial, but people thought he potentially could be lower at this point in his career. Was Ben Roethlisberger still grading out as a tier one QB? Do you agree with that assessment? And what's kind of the feel you've gotten from execs about where he stands right now? Well, I kind of felt like he deserved to be more uh, upper two. You know, it just feels to me like on on any given week, you're afraid that he's going to play great. But I don't think you're as optimistic that he's going to play great every week. And I'll totally give him some slack on the first game. It's tough to go into Foxborough. He's got new weapons. Uh, but I'm not expecting him to be playing at a tier one level for the whole year. I think he'll have more tier two votes by the end of the year. Um, but we'll see. I mean, he's still he's still capable. Right. 
Okay, so now moving on to the next question, a question that I really liked. It was very long. It was like eight paragraphs, so I'm not going to read the whole thing, but it's from Yuran T. And it says, Dear Mike, parts of it, I've, I've, I've edited it down a bit. Dear Mike, perhaps I've had one too many Bold City beers, but I'm not adjusting my expectations for the Jaguars offense this year. I'm a little worried about the defense, but that's for discussion. But you're the QB guy, right? So the question is, what is your realistic expectation for this Gardner Minshew-led Jaguars team? And that's, of course, after he came in relief of Nick Foles, went 22 for 25, 275 yards, two touchdowns. So um, Uron is very excited about Gardner Minshew. How do you feel about Gardner Minshew? Yeah, I mean, I mean, what do we have to base <laughs> exactly. it on? You know, one game. He was not in the quarterback tier survey. There right. was zero time put into, hey, what do you think would, would happen <laughs> if Foles is out and we got Minshew <laughs> for the whole season? I mean, people would be like, um, yeah. Watched a little bit of his college tape, uh, or we didn't watch it at all. So I was not overly optimistic on the Jaguars anyway, even with Nick Foles. Um, I would have probably put them at the bottom uh, of the division, even with Foles. So I am not overly optimistic, and that says nothing about him. I mean, but do we think that they have suddenly found the next great quarterback and that's going to play out over 16 weeks? I think he had a really good... Uh, abbreviated stint of football in the first week against a defense that's not great in the secondary and against a team that really wasn't worried because they were going to put up 40 points and that's the way it was. So let's just see the next two weeks. He's got, what, Houston, Tennessee, Vic Fangio. I know that Denver had a bad first game, but maybe by then Fangio will have it figured out. They'll get some tape on him. I'm not expecting great things from him. And if he exceeds that, good for him. But how could you base it off of just one abbreviated start for somebody with no pedigree? Right. Exactly. I agree. Sorry, you, Ron T. But he's very excited about Gardner Minshew. Perhaps, uh, perhaps yeah. he'll, maybe he'll hey, pan out. I'd be excited too, because you're not looking at Bortles for the 17th year in a row, you know? <laughs> exactly. That was one of my, one of my notes in my column was that, uh, so last season on deep passes, really deep ones, 30 yards or more, downfield. Uh, Bortles was one of 14. Uh, I think Foles was one of one and Minshew was one of one <laughs> in the first game. Already so an improvement. <laughs> it's been a very, yeah, it's been a low bar there. And I just think I'd rather watch Minshew than Bortles for another year. That's for sure. Yeah, definitely. Much more exciting at least. Um, okay. So moving on, Eric C has a question about two teams that did not look great in week one with young quarterbacks that I think we're all expecting a little bit more from. So Eric C says, dear Mike is Brown's jets on Monday night already a must win <laughs> for both teams. Oh my goodness. The jets. I mean, did the jets coverage, did the coverage of the jets go sideways in a hurry or what? I <laughs> it mean, always does. It uh, takes one. So I know. <laughs> It was so hilarious. I was at their camp this summer, and I was like, "God, oh, this is the most optimistic. Darnold can do no wrong. Every report. Every single the one. The ball hardly hit the ground. I mean, I was like almost busting on my friends who cover the team. Like, really? I mean, is this? So he's the greatest ever. We Basically, from this offseason, Darnold is going to be the greatest ever. And after one bad game, there's like reports that Gase like Mayfield more in the draft. Uh, the kicker's been fired. <laughs> you know, we, uh, typical Jets. It's, it's just so typical. Yeah, yeah. It all goes downhill so, so quickly. People freak out. <laughs> so I do think that I mean look it's not the whole season but I do think it's a freak out week for one of these teams that loses no doubt about it and um, who needs it more well what is 
both their schedules are pretty tough, at least at the beginning. So the Browns yeah. play the after the Jets, the Browns play the Rams, Ravens, 49ers, Seahawks, and Patriots, which is a brutal stretch. <laughs> brutal. They could potentially, yeah. you know, if they don't win this game, people are already going to be freaking out that all the hype was, yeah. you know, they're not living up, they're collapsing again, they're same old Browns, all that. So... <sighs> I feel like the Browns are going to win more games over the course of the season, even if the Browns were to really stumble again. As long as they're not 20 penalties and things out of control and players getting ejected, mm-hmm. I think a, a road loss in which, let's just say both teams look reasonably competent. Right. Um, I think you could handle um, another loss for the Browns. Whereas I feel like because of the New York market, you know, um, yeah. if the Jets were to really look bad, um, there's just, they're both combustible in different ways. Right. Um, they're comparable. Right. Yeah, I, I agree with that. I think there's just a lot of pressure on both of them right now. Obviously, the Browns, the hype is so crazy high that for them to potentially fall out flat two weeks in a row to open the season is <laughs> going to people are going to be panicking quickly. But in QB tiers, yeah. execs are. I also think part of the reason why is because people, similarly to the way you're you're saying that people were talking about Darnold in terms of now he's like the greatest ever, people are really high on Baker really early. And obviously last yeah. season he was very good, but, you know, already in tier two. Um, and I don't think he didn't receive any tier one votes, right? But there were some people who say they could see him in, in the very near future already making their way up. Yes. Uh, so I was a little surprised that people were that willing to put him in the second tier already off of an abbreviated season that was really a house money season, right? I mean, there wasn't a lot of expectation. It was caution to the wind. And, you know, the team had won one game in like 20 years before that. So anything they did was going to look okay. And now you have a whole off season of embracing the hype. It wasn't like Freddie Kitchens was out there saying, look, we haven't proved anything. You know, it was more like, I felt like they felt like they were going to be really good and didn't didn't uh, damper put a damper on that at all. So um, I think Mayfield's good. I think he's going to be good. Um, I think it was encouraging what he did last year. Uh, but the, to me, the concerns are more around him. And uh, you know, is the head coach going to be good? How are they going to manage the wide receiver personalities? Is the offensive line good enough? Um, those sorts of things. I think I do feel the optimism on Mayfield, even though I think you could have easily knocked him down a half a tier um, and maybe had him at the very bottom of two or the top of three as just sort of a cautionary uh, Right, definitely. Um, Okay, so now moving on to Andy M., who says, Dear Mike, Frank Reich says he wants the Colts to be a top five rushing team how realistic do you think that is? And they're certainly off to a good start after their first game with 203 total rushing yards. They are. Yeah, I thank you for that question, Andy, because I actually on Sunday night watched that game again on like the Game Pass thing. And I I actually didn't know they were over 200 yards. So I knew they had a good rushing day. I didn't know the exact numbers. So that's awesome. Um, I do think it's realistic for them to be um, that high. I think they have a very good offensive line. I think they have, you know, a pretty good, decent quarterback, but somebody they are going to want to help out and make the defense account for other things, including the run game. I think they're a disciplined organization that will have a plan for Jacoby Brissett. And I think that philosophically they they will believe that we don't want to just be throwing it all the time. I think they want to be a balanced team. I think they sort of want to do things 
um, that way. Now, I did look statistically. Okay, so Indy was 20th in rushing yards last season. But to me, rushing yards are sometimes a product of opportunity. You know, if you're winning, you're going to rush more. Um, they were 19th in rushing EPA, expected points added. But EPA basically thinks almost all rushing plays are a waste of time. I don't think EPA captures like... If there's any additional value in the run game, EPA has no idea it exists, right? So um, to me, the Colts last year were seventh in offensive rushing success rate, okay? Uh, and so that is a little bit more contextualized way of looking at running. And so maybe that's a decent way to look at it. They were seventh last year. They're not going to get worse running the ball. So maybe, yeah, maybe they are a top five team that way. Right. And in terms of Jacoby Brissett, kind of what did you see from him in that first game? And, and have you heard anything in terms of what, what the league is, is thinking about him in terms of long-term for the Colts? Yeah, well, no, not on the, the long-term thing, I think, has to play out over the course of the season. you know. Right. Um, but uh, one of the observations in my column for Monday that was made by a coach who happened to be able to watch some of that game, I think it's a good point, was if you go to the end of the first half, uh, there's about a minute left. The Colts get the ball back. And in that situation, sometimes you're going to run out the clock because you don't want a couple incompletions and then Phillip Rivers is suddenly at midfield, right? I mean, that's a dangerous situation when you're playing against a Rivers, a Brady, guys like that who know how to manage a game. They're good passers. They're going to, their teams are going to be aggressive. So what did the Colts do? I mean, they came out throwing and throwing downfield passes. If you would have... If I had taken off my glasses, I'm not, I don't have that great a vision without them, and not known who was playing quarterback, and you just said, hey, here's the Colts, you could have told me the way they handled that two-minute at the end of the half was Andrew Luck. Okay, they, they wouldn't have done anything differently. So I thought that was encouraging. And he, by the way, he drove him down the field. Vinatieri uncharacteristically missed from 46 yards. But I thought that was a good sign. I thought it was just a good sign. I thought he played well, you know, just watching the game. He had them in the game despite leaving a bunch of points on the field with their kicker, and it was a good start for Jacoby Brissett. Yeah, definitely, and I agree. And I think they have the right coach there, the potentially the best coach there in terms of someone who can make this work, or one of at least, um, with Frank Reich. So uh, I'll be interested to keep watching them, especially with the AFC South as wide open as it appears to be right now. Um, okay, so moving on, we're back to the AFC North for a second. Um, tr- this is a two-parter, so I'm going to break it up. So part one, it's from two different people. Part one, Troy T says, Dear Mike, is it time to overreact to Bengal Seahawks and say that this Cincinnati team is not in the basement this season? Um, yeah. I, well, the re- well, did you see that? Are you saving the rest of the question and not in the same conversation as Miami, Washington, or Arizona? Because that was part of the question. And I, I would not put them down that low. You know, I think they have a chance to be um, better than that. We saw some positive things from them in the opener at Seattle. Obviously, Seattle wasn't great, but um, I think you could have easily made a case that the Bengals were going to walk into a buzzsaw and not be ready. So uh, to get whatever, what did Andy Dalton pass for 400 and some yards? Um, To me, that's a somewhat encouraging debut for him. They didn't score many points, but I I will buy that. Now, are they going to be, are they going to overtake someone in that division? I mean, it wouldn't shock me if if the Browns were totally overrated and just didn't have a good season and the Bengals were right there with them. But I'm not willing to say they're going to be at the top yet. Let's see more. Right. 
Definitely. Yeah. And I should clarify that the the end of that question was whether he, you would put them in the basement with the Dolphins and, and some of those really bottom tier teams. So uh, it seems like they've at least proved that they're not quite that bad, even if people thought they might be. I think in power rankings last week, we had them at like 29 or something, but they've moved up now. Um, yeah, so, I've been kind of impressed with Zach Taylor, too. I know that may be another question down the road about the coaches. But Yeah, um, so that's that's yeah. part two, actually. Perfect segue. Oh. Uh, Tyler M. asked, uh, what is your opinion on the Bengals and Zach Taylor's debut specifically? And then in addition, what's your ranking on how each new head coach did in their first week? Well, it's funny. When, uh, when the coaches were all hired, I watched i even have the links here on my screen i watched all of their opening press conferences okay and mm-hmm. uh i wanted to see who was the most impressive and i thought zach taylor was um as a, was much more impressive in the opening press conference than anybody so he made a positive or he was as impressive as any of the other coaches and much more than like a lafleur so i had some optimism coming in i'm gonna put i'm gonna put taylor at the top i thought his team comported itself well um there weren't guys out of control they looked to play with purpose they took advantage of opportunities um and they were right there in the game we can of course go through any all these coaches with a fine-tooth comb and say they should have punted here or gone forward and forth down i'm not doing that as much but i thought that uh taylor yes uh, taylor was probably at the top even though they didn't win the game um i've got lafleur next because they won the game but I'm not convinced that long term, this is a great marriage with Rodgers. And I don't know that it's necessarily LeFleur's fault. I just I just don't love the way Rodgers is playing within the offense. I think all of right. his plays are off schedule and flipping the ball. And so I wanted to see more evidence of this synergy between the two. Didn't really sense that. So they won the game. Good for you. And they were better on defense. I don't know how much the floor had to do with that, but okay. Um, I guess we have to go Kingsbury next. I, I almost had Arians above just because I thought the Bucks' defense was decent and he gets some right. credit for that. But I guess Kingsbury with the comeback, I don't know how great I feel about them overall, but they didn't lose a game. They were way behind, so um, good for them. Um I suppose Arians is next. I do think their defense is improved. I think Todd Bowles was a really good hiring for their defensive coordinator. I give Arians credit for that um, because Todd Bowles played for Arians at Temple in Philadelphia, and that relationship is why Todd Bowles is there. So uh, I thought their defense was improved. Um, any you got any beefs with that so far? No, that sounds that's about how I would have it so far. Yeah, and then... I suppose I'm going to go with Fangio next. It was not impressive, um, their performance against the Raiders, but yeah. it was maybe less unimpressive than some of the others. Yeah. Um, I, I didn't. I think Fangio is a good manager of the game. Um, I think he understands game management, clock management. It's a strength of his. I think he's going to be an upgrade for them in those areas. Uh, I expect their team to play better. Um, that was disappointing. But... My next one is probably Adam Gase. I mean, you're up 16-0 at home on Josh Allen. Yeah. And can't can't yeah. win the game. That's tough. Yeah. Um, the concerns we have for them are um, somewhat, you know, internal, too, with Greg Williams as your D coordinator. Right. And I just couldn't help but think after the game, you know, his 
Greg Williams' defense did enough to win that game, and they didn't win the game. And what are the conversations like? What are the passing each other in the hallways like? Um, you know, those things were a little bit of a concern anyway. And then, you know, Gase, I think the way he handled it after the game got a little irritable early yeah. for week one. Yeah. And I think you got to sort of watch that, you know, in that market. I think I don't want to see that. I want to get more of a sense that, hey, it was week one. You know, we are certainly disappointed in how this thing went, but uh, there was some good in there, too. It wasn't as bad as I thought when I looked at the film. Here's what we're going to do in week two. You know what I mean? Instead, it was like a little bit edgier than I want yeah. to see right out of the gates. Definitely. And I feel uh, like we've seen that from him from him a bit during even just a, since he's been coach, kind of this a little bit of attitude in terms of how he's responding to some things. And that can work sometimes, but it doesn't yep. work when you go out and fall on your face the first week. Yeah, so. yeah. I, don't, I just don't know that that's what we want to project. It's a little bit like, you know, Mike Zimmer's like that. It's a little bit of a defensive coach mentality. Right. But that's not how we're you know, we're, we're building this with the quarterback and we want him to just be calm, cool. We got this, you know, a little bit. And I want right. to, I would like to see a little bit more of that from them. Right. Um, seven out of the eight new coaches. I'm going to put Flores, even though they lost 59 to 10, I think he was just handed such wow. a, he was handed a mess. Okay. Right. And yeah. I didn't see a bunch of players running around um, in an undisciplined manner in the way they interacted with themselves or their coaches. I just think they got whipped by one of the five teams I would not have wanted to play in week one. I, I think yeah. whatever our concerns are about the Ravens long term, like I wondered if their defense is going to be as good this year over the course of the year. Still wondering. Um, right. I wonder if Lamar Jackson's going to hold up over time. Still wondering. I wonder if they're going to be good enough in the passing game um, to, to advance deep in the playoffs long term. Still wondering. But to play on any given week, they are a tough team to play. I mean, that's a program that's been together a long time with, J with John Harbaugh. Um, and they're specifically going with Greg Roman at, with that quarterback. And Roman, I used to cover the NFC West in a previous life. And when Roman was with the 49ers, the other coaches would always talk about the incredible volume in their run game. I think they're a hard team to play. So I cut a little bit of slack. He was handed the keys to a moped and he was in a tractor pull against a massive caterpillar dump truck <laughs> and he got pulled he got dragged so yeah you know. i think that's fair i think yeah. that's a fair assessment yeah yep and um, then eighth eighth i got kitchens because yeah overall comportment you know i go to their joint practices with the colts and it's all bravado it's embracing the tough guy they're in fights with the colts that's not the colts the colts aren't a team that's gonna get into fights that's that type of organization there the browns were cousins is running out on the field and he's like almost like one of the players you know and and so then what happens in the first game 20 penalties two were declined but i'm going with the total number 20 penalties your left tackles ejected and you looked like we feared you could look not all in one game. I thought these things could crop up throughout the year. Hopefully they got mm -hmm. them all out of their system in week one and they're going to be just fine. But they led my list of teams I was worried about coming out of week one. If we had to base it off of just one week, I was worried. Yeah, I think that that, I think that's right, having him last, because I think with the Browns and all the hype that surrounded them, I always thought Freddie Kitchens was their biggest question mark because we don't really know anything about how he would be as a coach and doesn't have much experience in terms of major coaching roles at all. And so that was kind of the biggest 
potential problem and it seemed to play out in week one at least and like you said maybe they'll get it together but we'll have to see I was not impressed uh, in week one at all so yeah he felt like a hiring to me where okay we're excited about what Baker Mayfield did we don't want to you know screw that up so let's just sort of keep it going exactly you know Tampa Bay kind of did that with Dirk Cutter remember when they fired Lovey Smith it was like hey we got Cutter we want him going with Winston and like the intentions are good I just don't know if that's the best process for hiring a head coach for the long term yeah exactly I definitely agree with that um okay so Andy M says dear Mike so people are only talking about how the Browns screwed up and not how the Titans played playoff football. Are the Titans the favorites for the AFC South after this week and why or why not? Well, you know, I picked them to win the division before the year and it, and it was a little bit by default. But um, you can go back into the Nashville radio archives last week. I said, look out for this game because I felt like Browns were completely overhyped and the Titans are not a bad team. Look, we don't think they're great. We don't think they're going all the way. I think they're a tough out. I think they're physical on defense. I think they're physical on offense. They know how they want to play. And their ceiling's not that high, but their their floor's high. And so um, we do need to talk about that more. And, and do I think they're going to win the division? I picked them more as a protest to the prevailing narratives. Um, I think it's going to be... I think it's too hard to say, but I think they're in the mix. I think they got a good, they probably have about as good a chance as anyone. I do think Houston may have the highest ceiling because of the quarterback, but you know, there's just sort of some concerns with them too that we'll see how they play out over the course of the year. And one of them is just their quarterback holding up. You know, I think he was already limping around in the first game. Right. And that, I was going to ask you about Marcus Mariota. He came as tier three in QB mm-hmm. tiers. And what was, what were some of the things that execs were saying to you about Mariota? And I know there's probably some concern about a lot of concern about his health, particularly. But uh, what's the kind of cons- uh, the thought process of, of execs on on Mariota? You know, I think fatigue sets in on guys. You know, when you've it's not like Mariota's been horrific, but when you just sort of go year after year with the same concerns and never really um, break away from that, I think a fatigue sets in. So. Yes, he was, I think I talked to 55 people and 44 put him in the third tier, only two in the second tier, people willing to bet on him, and nine in the fourth tier, which when you have a body of work like him and get put in the fourth tier, it means we don't think you're a starter for the whole year. So I think it's been trending that way for him. And there hasn't been enough um, good scene for people to be wanting to bet on it. I think people are hedging on him and feeling like, in fact, the first quote in quarterback tears on him was, I think they're looking for a guy next year. Can't stay healthy. I still question him in the pocket. A little disappointing. So um, I think that's the sort of the feeling. Of that, and that hasn't changed for me. You know, I I still don't know if he's going to start all the games. I think there is some feeling that Ryan Tannehill might play um, and that injuries will continue to be a factor for him. And the, and the one concern, too, was, is he fully healthy? You know, is he all the way back? Is he ever going to be the same? Right. Exactly. It's funny. I'm thinking about, I still associate the two of them together in terms of Mariota and then Jameis Winston, both the kind of mm-hmm. uncertain right now. And so Winston ended up also at tier three, a little bit higher. I think he was ranked 22nd overall and, and Mariota was 26th, but obviously 
Winston did not have a good showing in week one. I think there was some optimism that his pairing with with Bruce Arians would potentially lead to a, a maybe finally a breakout year for him. But at least early in week one, it did not look like there be that was there was much improvement there. But I don't yep. know if your general yep. thoughts on Jameis Winston. Yeah, he got a couple more votes in the second tier, one fewer in the fourth, but a ton in the third. And it's sort of a don't think he's necessarily going to elevate uh, feel on him. And, yeah, it kind of gets back. I, I remember writing a column when he was a rookie about, you know, does that high interception tendency from college that's demonstrated over a ton of games, does that appreciably change when you become a pro? And I don't think there was a lot of evidence that said, yeah, he's going to totally change. Now, you throw Bruce Arians in and your initial thought is, well, he's worked with a lot of, um, you know, good quarterbacks. Um Maybe there's hope that Winston will become one of them, but I think the pedigrees of the guys that he worked with in the past were different. You know, I think that Luck didn't have the concerns of maturity and and just managing the game that Winston has. I think when Bruce Arians got Carson Palmer, you know, he was a ten-year veteran who had played some good ball and also was a big studier and kind of on point on the details of the game. I don't feel like. I feel like Winston is a uh, is football smart. Like he he loves the game, and I think he um, seems to understand the game. But I don't think he's a detail oriented player. I don't think he's a detail oriented. Uh, I almost don't want to say preparer, but if he does prepare with detail, it doesn't come through in the way the care for that football during the game. Right? I think right. when you talk to coaches in the league, that football represents everybody's future in the building. You have to protect it that way. And Winston plays like he's got two more in the football bag down here by his feet, and he can just throw that one away. And I don't think that's necessarily changing, even though Arians cut him some slack on one of the pick sixes. But when we're having to differentiate between the multiple pick sixes. Right. (sighs) No. That's not not great. Yeah. Yeah. There's one quote in there. The coordinator faced Winston multiple times, called him super careless with the ball, which seems that he proved that during week one. (laughs) Super careless. He did. So, you know, I still want to see more because, um, you know, it's only one game. And I remember when Bruce Arians had Palmer, he at the midseason, maybe this was self-serving at the time, but he said, never judge a quarterback in a new scheme until he's had about half a season. So. I think coaches would love to have that be the standard because they would love to have a half season of slack. There's self-servingness in that, but also a reminder that, hey, you know, let's not just write something off after one game. Right. All right. I'm going to ask you one more question here, and then I'll ask you a couple more in a bonus podcast for subscribers only. But so one more for now. Um, Let's see. How do you grade out Josh Allen's performance on Sunday? And that's from Danny L. Yeah. Yeah. To me, it's, Concerning, you know, um, just not protecting the football early in the game, not able to get anything going. Uh, They did battle and grind and win. But if you want to dial up the list of teams that overcome 16-0 deficits in the second half, I mean, they're going to be on a short list of teams that did it. It's not a sustainable formula. So, uh, look, I want to see it over the course of a whole year. Um, I think he does have some promise, but I didn't come out of the first game going, wow, he has really turned a corner. I felt like they were lucky to win the game and give him credit for doing it. I think he's tough. I think he's a grinder. I think the team rallies around him. But would like to see a little more, you know, precision in, in the way they play. Maybe they get the back going a little more. You know, I think their running back 
gave them something in the second half, and, and maybe there's a little more balance. I think they were among the most pass-happy teams by the measure that I look at. And the way I look at it is, I, I wrote a column about this in relation to the Seahawks. What is your passing percentage? What percentage of plays do you pass on early downs? That's first and second. First 28 minutes of the game. It takes out the two-minute drill at the end of the half and all of the second half when we see teams play based on the score differential. They were very much on the pass-happy end, which I think is okay. You, sometimes for a young quarterback, you want to pass when they think you're going to run, but I think that maybe a little more balanced approach with some success in the run game, uh, maybe that would help him too. Right, definitely. It'll be interesting to see how he does for the rest of the season as well as the other young quarterbacks around his age, like we talked about, Darnold and Mayfield. There's a lot to see from all and those And Jackson, guys. I mean. And know, Jackson, I think but that... he showed us a lot. So we, we're, we're feeling optimistic about him already. He's but definitely... where does he feel? Yeah, where's he going to fit compared to the others? Like, he's already, you're taking him way before Rosen, right? Rosen oh. went ahead of him. Oh, yeah, for sure. What I mean, take, Rosen oh, just, is like the yeah. most, like the, his career seems almost like a tragedy. It's like he just ends up, he's not doing <laughs> any toiling away. It's just a very weird situation still for me with Rosen. I don't know if you, how you felt about him when he was drafted and if you thought anything about yeah. what you saw from him last year, but it just seems crazy that he's kind of already yeah. this guy, you know, only his second year kind of toiling away. <laughs> yeah, I want to see more. You know, I, I feel yeah. like it's unfair the situation he's been in. I do have, you know, some of the concerns about him, things you hear from, people who went and investigated him at college, you know, just the way he interacted with people was a turnoff. I don't know that that's a career killer and makes you, I think there's been plenty of jerks probably that did well. And I'm not saying he's one of them, but if he were one of them, I don't think that's a career killer. You know, I think right. there's, right. there's different ways you can, different personalities you can be. Again, I'm not saying he's like that, but that was the word on him coming out. And so um, it's why he went a little later. And just by the bad luck of him, you know, he's been with two teams that, couldn't set him up for success and we'll see maybe he does something with the dolphins this year we'll have to see i don't know how many dolphins games we're going to want to be watching but we'll see um all right make sando thank you so much we're going to ask you a couple more bonus questions uh which will be for our subscribers in a bonus episode that'll be coming up uh, later this week but for now uh this is mike sando i'm amy perlo piano thank you so much for joining us mike and we will see you next week with ted Wynn, who'll be joining us on the mailroom thanks guys <laughs>